Okay, welcome back to another episode of Pilates Elephants with your host, Raphael Bender. Great to be back with you. Today, I want to talk through a question I received from uh, via Instagram, which is, is neutral spine more efficient? And, uh, you know, we've talked a, a few times on this podcast about um, the lack of relationship between neutral spine and injuries um, or back pain, uh, but we haven't really addressed, I don't think, um, the, you know, this question of, you know, is neutral spine actually more efficient? And, you know, when I was a kid in Pilates years, growing up in Stop Pilates, I was taught that, you know, principle number two, neutral pelvis, uh, pelvic placement, uh, you know, neutral is the safest and most efficient position for loading and shock absorption of the spine. And uh, so yeah, is it the most efficient position? All right, so I want to think, you know, think about this because it's not as obvious as the, you know, the answer is not as obvious as it might sound. Now, I want to say the answer is not as obvious as it might sound, regardless of what you think the answer is, right? If you think the answer is yes or no, <laughs> I'm going to say it's not as obvious as it might sound. Uh, because, dear listener, I think first we have to get clear on what we mean by efficient. Uh, and I think this is one of the words that gets thrown around in Pilates a lot that we, you know, we don't really have a shared understanding of what we mean by efficient. You know, another one that's even bigger, I think, is stabilize, um, which I talked about on the recent live podcast I did on which muscles stabilize the knee. Um, but I think efficiency is a concept that we talk about in relation to movement in Pilates a bit. Um, but I'm not I'm not sure if we all agree on what we mean by that, or if even we're even clear on what we mean by efficient. So my simple definition of efficient is more inputs per output, right? So if I can exert the same amount of like calories and like move more weight, that's more efficient. Or if I can twist further with the same amount of effort, that's more efficient. Uh, if I can you know, stand or lift with less effort, that's more efficient, right? So it's more output per input. Now, the question then becomes efficient for what, <laughs> right? Efficient at what are the outputs and what are the inputs, okay? Because being efficient at say, uh, you know, maintaining a position, like, you know, using less energy to maintain a position, right, is not necessarily the same thing as maximizing the amount of weight that you can lift from the floor up to waist height, right? So there might be different spinal positions that are more efficient for different outputs. And indeed, that is probably the case. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. And I'll see if I can dig out some literature references for you on this one. We know that shoulder range of motion into flexion, so just basically lifting your arm up forwards and overhead, okay, is maximized in a more extended thoracic posture. So, in other, you know, I mean, this is, I'm sure, you know, if you've ever done a Pilates class, 
this is not news to you, okay? But when you, you know, when you lift your chest, okay, when you extend your upper thoracic, you can lift your arm up high. I mean, just try it now. Sit up tall, lift your arm up. Now, keep your arm lifted as high as you can and just flex your thoracic forward. What happens? Your arm comes down, okay? So there, it is more efficient to, you know, move your arm through a large range of motion into flexion with your thoracic in extension, right? You can move it to a greater range with the same amount of effort. That's the definition of efficiency, more output for same inputs. So in, in this particular instance, shoulder range of motion, a more extended position is the most efficient position for the spine. Whereas if we think about, say, generating force if through the whole, you know, from the foot, feet to the hands, like a whole body force production task, like a deadlift, okay, or any, you know, it doesn't have to be like a deadlifting competition, but like any kind of, you know, deadlift type movement where you're picking up something very heavy from the floor and lifting it up to approximately waist height, okay? Well, it turns out that actually a flexing the spine between you know, 60 and 90% of its full flexion is the most efficient position for the spine. As in, you can lift more weight with your spine in flexion with the same amount of muscle strength than you can in neutral or extension. Here's why. When you're lifting something from the floor, in terms of your spinal, uh, the forces on your spine, there are two major components that generate those lifting forces. One are your muscles in your back, so your erector spinae. The other one are the, is the connective tissue, the passive tissues in your back. So essentially your uh, lumbodorsal fascia your and all of the deep ligaments of the spine. So the, the discs, which is essentially just a coiled ligament the interspinous ligaments, the supraspinous ligaments, the, you know, all of those, uh, you know, the posterior longitudinal ligament. So as you bend forwards, okay, as you bend your torso forwards, all of the tissues on the back of your body are stretched. So the back wall of the disc lengthens, is stretched, okay, the interspinous lig, or the, the, sorry, the posterior longitudinal ligament, which runs the full length of your, well, not the full length, but runs through most of your spine at the very back of the vertebral body, okay, that is stretched. The interspinous ligament, which runs in between the spinous processes of your vertebrae, is stretched, okay, as you flex forward. And the supraspinous ligament, which runs at the very back on the tip, the posterior end of those uh, spinous processes, of your vertebrae, okay, that is stretched as well. And then the most superficial structure, the lumbodorsal fascia, which lies superficial even to, you know, closer to the surface of the body, more superficial, even than the supraspinous ligament, that is stretched as well, okay? And then, of course, also your erector spinae muscles are stretched. Now, when your erector spinae muscles are stretched, they can generate a little bit more force because muscles can generate a little bit more force at... Uh, uh, their maximum force are just past their mid-range, just longer than their mid-range, okay? But then as you extend those muscles further and further, as you flex your torso more and more, the muscles actually can generate less and less force, 
But here's what happens. As your muscles generate less and less force because they get longer and longer, because as you flex further, the muscles are longer lengths, the passive tissues start to generate more and more force. So as you tension that lumbodorsal fascia in particular, but also the supraspinous ligament, the interspinous ligament, etc., but you know, predominantly the lumbodorsal fascia, it comes under tension, okay, which means it's pulled, right? It becomes more rigid. And it actually exerts a lifting force. Now, when I say lifting force, I don't mean it contracts. I mean, it's like a strap or a belt, right? When you pull on it, it pulls back on your, it pulls back with an equal and opposite force, right? Just like if you push down on the top of a table, the table exerts a force back onto your hand, right? Now, the table's not actively pushing your hand. It's just resisting the force that you're applying. And so when you're trying to pull, you know, you're pushing your feet into the floor and you're holding something in your hands that's low down by your feet and you're picking it up, there's a force on that, on those tissues of your back, okay? Now, even if those tissues of your back aren't actively contracting, there's still a pull on them, right? And so what resists the pull is a combination of your active tissues, your muscles contracting, and combined with the passive tissues, the, let's think of the lumbodorsal fascia, okay? Now, as you flex your spine forward, the muscles are able to provide less and less force because they can't contract as forcefully when they're at a very long muscle length. But as you flex further and further forward, the lumbodorsal fascia is stretched more and more. It is under more and more tension. It becomes more rigid. It actually resists with more and more force as you flex forward, right? So as you flex forward, the muscles contribute less force to an extension moment, to you know, lifting something off the floor. And the passive tissues contribute more force. But here's the thing, dear listener. The amount of reduction in contractile force from the muscles is way less than the amount of increase in tensile force from the lumbodorsal fascia. So now I don't know the numbers on this, and I'll I'll put some uh, citations in the show notes, but the, the, the... Passive tissues contribute something like 80% of the full uh, extensor moment when you're at about 90% of full spinal flexion, right? So the, the, the lumbodorsal fascia is doing most of the work, not your back muscles, right? Because they're in a very disadvantaged position mechanically. So what's the most efficient position for lifting a very heavy object from the floor? It's actually like very close to full spinal flexion, like about 80, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90, up to 90% of full spinal flexion. And I'll put a reference for this uh, or a couple of references for this in the uh, show notes. Now, what about, so we've looked at two things here, two situations here, okay? So efficiency is, you know, is more outputs per input, okay? And so for something to be efficient, it's like, well, we have to know what are the inputs and what are the outputs, right? Because it's going to be different levels of efficiency for different outputs. So if the output is, you know, maximum range of motion at the shoulder, well, having a more erect spine is more efficient, right? If the output is lifting something really heavy from the floor, well, a fully flexed spine is more efficient because the passive tissue stiffness increases. What about for rotating the spine? So something like a spine twist uh, exercise. Uh, Well, the output there is rotation, 
okay, the like range of motion of the spine. And I would say that probably a more upright posture is more efficient, right? I mean, I just, I haven't seen a research study on this, but I just know from my own body, like when I flex forward and I try and twist, I can't twist as far as when I sit up tall, it's easier to twist further. So I would say, you know, based on that N of one, <laughs> that, uh, you know, probably sitting up tall. Now, I don't know if like neutral specifically, it might be like a slight extension is more, you know, uh, efficient for rotation, but certainly uh, it seems to me, you know, based on, again, my own personal experience, that flexion is not the most, you know, efficient position to to get a good rotation for your torso. So I would say, you know, neutral or maybe slightly extended, uh, in my view, is probably the most efficient position for, you know, uh, flex, you know spinal rotational flexibility. Um now, that is if you were thinking about spine twist, right, as a spinal flexibility exercise, right? But what if we're thinking about spine twist as being a way to strengthen the obliques, right? Well, what's the most efficient way to strengthen the obliques is to get as much load on them as possible in the shortest amount of time possible with the least effort possible, right? That would be the most efficient way to strengthen the obliques. So... All right, so if we wanted to put as much load on the obliques as possible, we should probably add flexion to the to the mix because the obliques are flexors, right? And if we wanted to preferentially load one or the other side, we could add in some side bending as well, right? So if you did some kind of side bending plus flexion plus rotation, that would load your obliques much more efficiently in terms of getting more load to the obliques for the same amount of movement than, say, an upright erect spine twist, right? So if you're doing spine twist for the purpose of flexibility, probably sitting up tall is, is the most efficient way to do it. If you're doing it for the purpose of strengthening your obliques, well, probably flexing and side bending is the best way to do it. And doing it on your back, <laughs> sounds like crisscross, uh, is the best way to do it, right? So, dear listener, I think uh, that is, you know, all that I really wanted to say on this topic, uh, is neutral spine more efficient? Well, the, I think first we need to get clear on what we mean by efficient. And my definition is more in more outputs per input. And so then the next question is, well, what output are we trying to optimize for? If we're trying to optimize for shoulder range of motion, an upright posture is more efficient. If we're trying to optimize for strength and force production, lifting something from the floor, well, a fully flexed spine or very close to fully flexed is more efficient. If we're trying to optimize for spinal rotational range of motion, probably a more upright posture, or certainly a more upright posture, but probably like a, even a more slightly extended posture, I would you know, guess, is more efficient. Whereas if we're trying to optimize for rotational strength of the obliques or strengthening of the obliques, well, probably a flexed and side bent rotated position is going to be the most efficient way to achieve that. So dear listener, I told you, I think the answer is going to be more complicated than you thought, whether you thought the answer was you know, is neutral spine more efficient? Whether you thought the answer was yes or whether you thought it was no, uh, hopefully the answer was a bit more nuanced than uh, that for you. And I hope you found this interesting. All right, much love and I will see you in the next one.
after two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.